Wow, it's so nice to be back. Uh, so I'm just, before I preach, I, I need to talk about some happy things. Uh, Col- there's nothing happy about Colin. You know, no, I'm just kidding. I love you so much, brother. I love Pastor Tim. One of the happiest days of my life is the day Tim said he'd come to be the uh, minister of music and worship here. Uh, I'm involved in a great church in, in Florida. I am now preparing elders for that work, great work. Uh, I want to thank the elders of this church and the deacons and all of those of you who serve and have been so faithful. Life is so unpredictable at times, isn't it? We serve a sovereign God who's in control of everything, but it's, uh, it's unpredictable. You never know. when you know, Just when you think you're there, it's like, wow, something can hit you. And, and, uh, and so the word that I'm going to bring to you today that I, I really believe God laid on my heart for us all, um, I hope it really encourages you. Uh, we really do enjoy our 17 grandchildren. We really are enjoying our ministries right now. I'm very rusty at preaching. I don't preach as much as I, I used to, and I miss that. So thank you for giving me this opportunity, Colin. And uh, so let's just bow our hearts in just a word of prayer, and let's get ready for God's word to unveil our hearts before him. What a church. I'm so thankful for this church. And uh, I pray that your word would speak to all of us in a most personal and uh, special way. Thank you for the faithfulness of so many in this body. Thank you so much, Lord, for taking it through some very difficult moments. And thank you that they've come out to the other side and they're still a beautiful, attractive church. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. What makes a church attractive? What makes a believer in Jesus attractive? That kind of person, that kind of church, people can't take their eyes off of for even just a moment. You bewilder them. They find themselves not liking everything you believe, yet they can't. Stop watching your life. They may not like what this church believes and the truth that we hold to, but they can't stop wondering what makes this church tick. Why are they so compelling? I want you to think for just a moment what it was like for the Apostle Paul who sets up this church in Corinth, and it was a great church. And people of all different backgrounds were coming into to coming to Christ. Uh, it just every walk of life, people that struggled with their sexuality, those who were addicted to alcohol, uh, liars and cheaters and and sailors and just everybody. Just they couldn't take their eyes off of the teaching that was going on in this church. And then Paul moves away, and the church. It started to lose its attractiveness. And so later he writes this letter to the church and he says, I want to visit you, but but first I'm, I'm going to send you a letter. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and I want you to see the last verse and then we'll come back to the first, okay? 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21. Paul asked him this question, what, what do you prefer when I come to you? Uh, shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? I can assure you I come today with no whip. I come with love and a gentle spirit because I'm really proud in a good way of this church. Now, I'm not saying we're completely and altogether attractive as we should be. And that's what this passage is going to ask us. It's going to challenge us to want to be as attractive as the bride of Christ as it can be. And it begins with each person individually. Because here's what he says right before he asks that question. He says, the kingdom of God, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's not a matter of talk. It's of power. Now, how can this be? This is what he's going to show us. Scientists have discovered that we make about 35,000 decisions every day. Some of us more than others. but And, and 98% of them are made uh, during you know, the waking hours. And some 2% or less are made while we sleep. You know, you wake up, you, you, your covers aren't right. That's a decision, you know. But 35,000 decisions every day. And some decisions are more important than others, yes. But every decision that we make shapes and helps us to become more and more attractive as followers of Christ. And so we need to ask ourselves, what are the most important questions to ask? Because God wants us to be attractive in his most unique and, and uh, most unusual way. So he says, in order to be attractive, these are the qualities, these are the questions we might even ask ourselves. He gives us this mentality. He says, so then, verse 1, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Now here he uses a very unusual word. It's under rower. It's the people that are down under the galley, you know, in the galley, and they're, they're underneath, and, and all the water's seeping through, and it's damp, and it's dark, and it's stinky, and it's awful in every way. But he says, this is how I want you to see yourself every day. You're an under rower. An under rower. I want everybody to do this with me a little bit. Would you? Come on, just, just row together. We're under rowers. We're servants of Christ under rowing. Moving this thing along that belongs to God. And it's so big, it's so unique, it's so powerful, it cannot be on our own power. We need to be under rowers that are not about talk, but the power of God. How does that begin? How do you know when you're living by the power of God? And not your own strength. Begins with this mentality. We ought to regard ourselves as under rowers of Christ because of this reason. We've been entrusted with the mysteries of God. We have the open sacred secrets that were hitherto concealed but now revealed to us. They've been given to us. No, they've been entrusted to us. Like, for instance, Romans 16.25 
The gospel is going to go to all the nations. And thank God, our pastor of this church, he wants that gospel to go to all the nations and its leadership and you. That's what makes it attractive. And not just that mystery, but the mystery that in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, at that moment when we're not expecting it, boom, these bodies are going to be transformed into the image of the glorified Christ. Glorified bodies. It's a mystery, but it's what we share. We've been entrusted with that. We long for people to come through the doors and sit in these seats and hear week after week. The pastor of this church teach and share the mysteries of God. And I watch him and I listen to him and I hear him over and over again, faithfully proclaimed. And how about the mystery of Ephesians 5.32? The man and wife who come together and in that sexual union they become one flesh. And just like that, God brings us together and he makes us one body. And it's a mystery. But we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just that. Colossians 1.26. Christ in us. The hope of glory. He's in us. So it affects the decisions we make and how we treat one another. We ought to regard ourselves as under rowers for Jesus because we've been entrusted the secret things or the mysteries of God. Now, it's required that those who have been given a trust, it says here, they must prove themselves faithful. That's why we want to live a faithful life because of who we are. We're just under rowers. We want to be faithful because we've been entrusted the mysteries of which the angels want to look into and try to understand and comprehend. We've been given the greatest commission, the greatest truths that a person can ever want or to have in their hearts. And he says, because of that, we prove faithful as a single person, as a husband and wife. As a widower, as a man, as a woman, as an older woman, an older man. When you get older, entrust those things to the younger women. He says to the older women, he says to the older men, make sure that you're passing on to the younger men that which you've been given. He tells us, look for faithful people so that you can entrust to them the great, great truths of God and promises of God. Now, what's so beautiful about this is that, is that no matter what we face, we can endure it. Did you ever hear that little thing, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you? It's not true. They may not break your bones, but words hurt. They cut to the quick. And so when, when we serve as under rowers, trust me, Paul's saying, yes, there's going to be sticks and stones thrown at you. There's going to be words that really dig deep and really hurt. But this is, this is the counsel he gives. He says, I care very little if, I, if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, do not even judge myself. I don't judge myself for my conscience is clear. It's nice to have a clear conscience, but look what he says. He says, but that doesn't make me innocent. 
That doesn't make me pure or blameless. But he goes on, he says, he says, uh, therefore, it is the Lord who judges me. So judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes and he'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he'll expose the motives of men's hearts. And then at that time, each one will receive a reward. So as under rowers entrusted with the mysteries of God, I just want to be faithful because this is it. In the end, the only thing that really matters is the judgment that I face before God. And it won't be a judgment for my sins. It'll be a judgment for that which I've done as an under rower and that which I didn't do with the best motives and that which I did, it's going to burn away. Yes, but still there'll be praise and that's always going, that's, he's just going to give praise and that's what you got to stay focused on. You know, it's, I, well, I, I love this body and I loved my time. It is the most precious moments and years of my life. But my good friends like Jeff Osborne, he'll, he'll attest, he's, he's wept with me many a times. He's held me in his arms. There were people who took pot shots at me. Some things were, were true, but they made them this big and said, you know, and some things were just absolutely untrue. And it hurt at times. And, and, and yet I could push and press through and persevere because I, I was able to keep this constantly in my focus. I'll never forget when I was here year 18, there's somebody took a shot at my wife. And I'll tell you what, it wrecked me. Really? You Really? You know, I mean, it wrecked me. And then I realized it woke me up to a reality that every time someone would take a shot at me, my wife was in, it, it, it really, it caused a tremendous amount of pain. So when, when we left, I, I left not just because God was leaning that on my heart and I, I, I left because I knew my wife, she was tired. Her heart had, had had enough wounds over the time. And I knew that I, that there was something that was, that was, God was more important in our lives, but also more important in the life of this body. And so we made a very difficult decision. And we still believe it was right to this day, especially when I see the man who's leading it now. But I do want to say to Christine, don't you ever lose sight of this verse. Because it'll wear you down over time. If you see your husband take one here and there that's unjust and unwarranted over the top. Well, what makes us irresistibly attractive? Let's get back to that question. Look at verse 6. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself this little short, balding man who's not a very good speaker, but I also applied it to Apollos, who's tall and handsome and eloquent with words. And I did it for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive from God? 
And if you didn't receive, if you, and if and if you did receive it, why why do you boast as though you why do you like you didn't receive it? Everything we have is from God. Dare anyone compare ourselves with another church? No, God doesn't want you to compare yourself with other churches. God wants you to just look at your heart, be an under rower, live a life that wants to be pure in his eyes. Be faithful. Don't worry about judgment that comes in your life. Press through that. Don't get proud. Don't long for some kind of persona. Don't want some personality that you think would make this just a better place. Don't long for that. Because God knows the differences that we all have. He made us different, wonderfully different. He wants us to appreciate those differences and embrace them. All of them. The strengths, the weaknesses, and only focus on him. Now, everything we do is for the benefit of others. He even later on, you know what he does in verse, I think it's in, uh, I think it's verse 17. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son. He really needed Timothy at that time. He wanted Timothy. But he said, I'm going to send Timothy to you guys right now. I can't be there right now. And you embrace him. He's young, but this man is faithful. Isn't that awesome? Everything we do is for the benefit. Even 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses uh, 3 to 5. Do you know that all these things we suffered is, uh, we suffered it so that we could comfort you. We went through this pain so that we could identify with your pain and help you through yours. Everything we go through in life is for your benefit. If you go through cancer, it's for the benefit of others. Whatever loss you experience, it's for the benefit of others. Whatever unjust thing that goes through your life, we're just like Joseph. They may have meant it for evil. God intended it for good. So that many might be rescued or saved. And that's what he's coming back to constantly. But the Corinthians at this moment, I have to tell you, they weren't a very attractive church. They lost the attraction. You know why? Here's what he says. Already you have all you want, don't you? Already you become rich. You become kings. You're, you, you know, and he says, and that without us, <laughs> how I wish that, uh, that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. He's being sarcastic. It seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of a procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle. The whole universe to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you are strong, aren't you? You are honored. You're deeply valued, but we're not valued. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. Wow. Excuse me. That's my grandkids coming through me. 
You see what we are? We're not just under rowers. We're a spectacle. And God makes us a spectacle. We're a spectacle. We're on display. You're like inside this display case and people are watching you. And when they watch you, do they see something that they're attracted to? When they watch you, do they see your spirit as that of an under rower? Do they see you as a person who longs to be faithful? Do they see you as one who knows and walks and you live and move and have your being knowing that you've been made pure by God? You've been made completely righteous by God. This is how he wants us to live. Yeah, it might seem as though you're, you're being drug along in the rear of a triumphal entry and uh, as though you're defeated. Like an enemy that was taken down. Maybe you'll be seen that way, but that's okay. I want you to be a spectacle. And Stephen was stoned by the mobs. It says that Jesus stood at the right hand of God the Father. Wow. I'll never forget when I went to uh, Belarus right after communism fell. And uh, I got out, I got, came off the plane and there, I, I got picked up in this car that looked like it was something from the mafia. I thought for sure Jimmy Hoffa was in the trunk. And they take me to this place that uh, I was going to be speaking on the book of Romans. And uh, we went down into this bomb shelter. I mean, the, the steps went forever. And when we were down there, it was really dank and just musty and, you know, fluorescent lights that were kind of like going on and off. And there was like 300 leaders waiting to hear the word of, of Romans, the book of Romans taught. I got to tell you, I was a little bit intimidated by all that, but it got worse. They said, before you teach us Romans in the next two weeks, would you, would you teach us why, why do we suffer? Why does God allow suffering? Why has there been so much suffering among all of us? I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say, and I just bowed my head before the Lord, and I said, Lord, just give me something. What can I say? How can I speak on suffering? I don't know suffering like they do. And I remembered something that happened right before I had left. I caught my son uh, hanging out with another little boy at church, and they were comparing their scars with each other, like who had the biggest scars, you know. And, and they were having just a blast with that. And then the Lord brought to my mind uh, Galatians 6, I think 17. It says, where Paul says, don't bother me anymore. Don't even judge me. I bear in my body the marks, the scars of Jesus Christ. So I told him the story about my kid, my, my son. And I said, before I talk on suffering, I, I'd like to see your scars. May I see your scars? And there was silence. And I'm like, oh, well, they're not getting what I'm saying. You know, I'm like a little nervous. And next thing you know, this man stands up and he lifts his shirt up. And he had, I mean, scars all over his back where he was beaten for his faith in Christ. Another man stood up and showed where a gun shot went through his side. And where he, you know, and I, I just saw the most ugliest, most beautiful scars I've ever seen in my life. It was amazing. One person after another, and there was tears, and there was laughter, and I thought, thank you so much, Lord. And then this young, beautiful girl stood up. 
She was, must have been like 18 years old. And she said, my scar is in here, my heart. When I was just five years old, my dad came in. He picked me up in his arms and he hugged me. And he said, I'm going to go out. and I'm going to baptize some people tonight in the woods where they had dug a hole, melted snow to do a baptism. And she said, my daddy never came home. He was killed. Everybody was killed, even those who were baptized. Can you believe that? (laughs) And you know, that's what's going on in so many parts of the world right now. And that's why we, as a church... We need to stick back and say, are we an attractive church? Because the church will only be as attractive as you are. Right? And so Paul says this. We work hard, verse 12. We work hard with our own hands. Are you a hard worker? Do you go to your place of employment? And I mean work hard. For the glory of Jesus to be a spectator for him on display. We are cursed, yet we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Yet up to this moment, we become scum to the world. That's okay. It's all right if the world sees you as scum, they'll still be attracted to you. They'll want to know what makes you such attractive scum. Mm. I, 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 I want to close this by saying this. So how do you know if you're living in the power of God? How, how do you know if you've come to a place of maturity in your faith in Jesus Christ? He gives us that that as well. He says, verse 14, I'm writing this not to shame you. I'm writing it to wake you up. Yeah, as dear as dear children. And even though you have 10,000 pedagogos, guardians, tutors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And that's why I'm sending you Timothy, because he'll verify I have a life that can be imitated. And how many times are we told throughout the scriptures to be to be people who say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me. That's when you know you're mature. That's when you know you're really a spectacle. That's when you know people are watching you and they're attracted to you. When you're willing to say, I don't need a thousand tutors. That was like a proud thing for them to have a tutor in the day, you know, a pedagogos, you know, and, and, and he's saying, you don't need that. Just be an imitator of Christ and ask others to imitate your life. And by the way, do you notice that it's not a passive thing? It's not like I'm hoping everybody's attracted to my walk in Jesus. No, I'm going out and I'm finding men who are faithful. And I'm saying, I want to help you become a leader in God's church. I'm going to that person who's an alcoholic and I'm saying, I want you to look at Jesus in a different light. Walk with me for a season. I'm writing to a man in jail on a day on a monthly basis, wanting and urging him to follow Jesus, to imitate Christ and have the other inmates want to follow him. So this is it. This is just, 
be an imitator. Here's the thing. Today and tomorrow, you're going to make 35,000 some decisions. 35,000. Of all those decisions you make, keep these ones in the forefront. Am I an under rower? Am I faithful to Jesus? Do I see myself as one who's been forgiven and entrusted with the mysteries of God to share with the world? Because when I do, I will become scum, but I'm going to be attractive because I'm going to press through no matter what anybody throws at me. No matter how hard life gets, I'm pressing on. Because that's what we need to do. Uh, when we drove by, I saw the offices over there. That used to be my home, believe it or not. And I can remember to this day a bedroom that was trashed one day. Is my oldest daughter. We had just moved there. We had people into our home. We were showing some hospitality. They had a daughter the same age as my oldest daughter. We let them up in the bedroom. We had a great time. We come up into the bedroom, open the door. And I mean to tell you, it was everything out of every drawer, every toy, every. And they had to leave. And when they left, I said to Sarah, you got this stuff out. You're going to put it away. I'm coming up here in a half an hour and it better be done. I went downstairs and Sherry and I, we did some, I don't know what happened, but we forgot about her. <laughs> Two hours later, we come back up and I open the door and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm figuring she's probably got it all cleaned up and she's sleeping. She was sitting in the middle of everything and hadn't picked up one thing. I said, Sarah, why are you disobeying me? Why didn't you pick up this stuff? And she said, Daddy, I don't know where to begin. And I sat down next to her and I said, let's start with this. And we put her socks in the drawer. We did this next and then the toys. Before long, she was able to do it on her own. Life comes at us hard, doesn't it? Sometimes we don't know where to begin. We don't know what to pick up first. Come alongside of somebody and help them. Don't be afraid to be a spectacle. Be attractive. Don't be obnoxious. Be on display. Because I long for this church to forever be attractive. Bride of Christ. Let's pray. I love this church. I love its pastor and the elders. I love the women of this church, the faithful servants. I love how they persevered. Lord, make this church, each individual, attractive. Maybe you're here today and you know you haven't been attractive of late. You know what to say, Lord, make me an under rower. Here I am, I'm an under rower. I'm going to share your mysteries, say it to him.
Maybe you've fallen deep into something that's made you feel really ugly, even like scum. He's made you perfect. He'll bring you out of that. He will. Maybe you're here today and you say, I have no idea if I've been living in the power of God or my own power. You'll know when you're truly an under rower. You will. When you no longer want tutors, but you just want people to imitate your life, let that be your goal. Say, Lord, make me one who others want to imitate. Everybody should be mentoring somebody. Everybody. And then maybe you're here today, and this is all new to you. How do I become forgiven? Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. How do I know for sure if I'll spend eternity with God? Trust in Jesus alone to save your soul and he will. All you got to do is humbly cry out and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Make me your faithful servant. Your child. We love you, Lord. Thank you for letting us be a part of this church, this body. Thank you, Lord, for making us a spectacle. Put us on display, Lord. Put us on display as a church. Corporately, together as one body, and me individually, Lord, too. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. In, in your name, amen. God bless you.